Welcome to the Nerd Stalgic Podcast with your host, the Ginger Howdy beans, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Nerd Stagit Podcast. I'm your host, Luke the Human. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're all good, as per usual. So today, before we get into the main topic, I just want to say make sure that you follow me at Twitter at nerdstagic underscore pod for updates on anything and anything that I'm, I'm basically going to be doing, looking at, gaming, reading, anything like that, really. So make sure you follow me on Twitter for updates there. Also, if you listen to this on YouTube, don't forget to give me a like, comment, and subscribe. Um, you can find me on YouTube at the Nerd Sagit Podcast, and I'll be incredibly grateful if you could drop me a sub, because as currently as recording this, I'm at 91 subscribers. So my hope is by now, hopefully by the end of summer, I'm thinking of August, September, I'll reach 100. Hopefully by Christmas, we can reach 110, maybe, if we're lucky. Uh, but we'll see. So that's all the business side out of the way. Uh, so today's topic is I'm going to be looking into Rise of Rome, but this is going to be a bit different. This is going to be a, a type of review that I haven't done before. One I've always wanted to do, but I've never really found the topic to do it in. Um, this topic is going to not just be about Rise of Rome, but I'm going to try my best to answer three main questions. And I'm going to try to be as unbiased as possibly can where I need to be unbiased and try to be opinionated where I need to be opinionated. Right. So this is going to be a somewhat in-depth sort of review, but also um, a reflection on uh, video game development, as well as why some games that are sort of known as classics and known fondly now um, weren't as fondly loved or reminisced about when they first came out. Again, it's, it's the idea of why do games fail? So um, I finally found a topic, Rise of Rome. It's a game that means a lot to me. I quite enjoy it. I usually play it at least once a year because it's on Game Pass. Um, <clears throat> it's one of the first games that I played when my dad got the Xbox One. Um, my dad actually got it for free because uh, anybody remember uh, when the Xbox One came out, it, it bricked and didn't work for a lot of people. And uh, in sort of turn to say, sorry, Microsoft offered people free games. Uh, and my dad, I think he got three free games. Um, but I remember the only two games I remember him getting was Rise on a Rome and a Dead Rising Free. Uh, those and there was another one, um, but he got these for free. And these was a sort of the, my first sort of venture, shall we say, into into next gen. Um, so I figured this would be the perfect topic and perfect sort of game development to talk about why a game is so not just widely loved but also why does a game that's so widely loved why does a game fail so i think it's really really interesting um i'm going to try my best to answer like i mentioned three questions those three questions are number one why did it fail um number two why i feel it doesn't deserve it and number three why i feel it deserves a second chance maybe potentially a sequel or even you know where the series could go next so those are the three sort of topics i'm going to try and cover as best i can um the reason behind this topic the reason why i i chose it as well the reason why it came to mind to use it for for this sort of idea idea concept that i want to give a go here in in the podcasting space is because um Oh, what should I say? It was it like two, three weeks before the beginning of the sort of beginning of June, uh, beginning of the summer showcase to show all the video games that are you know coming uh, this year and next year? Um, there was a leak, and again, it turns out this leak was fake. Um, but there was a leak that somebody said, "Oh, we've got the list of all the games that are going to be shown at the Xbox event," and it was all over Twitter, and obviously it found its way to me. And there were a lot of games on there. I can't remember all of them, but there was a lot of games on there that were like, oh my God, I'd love that game. I'd love that game. Oh, I wish they brought that game back. And one of them that caught my eye was Rise of Rome 2. And it kind of made me thinking of like, I remember that game. I have such nostalgia for it. As I mentioned, it was the first game I played on Next Gen. You know, it's a game I play at least once a year. I come back to it because it's still to this day, again, on my honest opinion, you know, I'll let you know when I'm going to be unbiased. Um, but my opinion is, it's. I think I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but Rise on Rome is one of those games where I feel it still feels like next gen to me. You know, it was the first, it was like 
when you first get the Xbox 360, you know, or you get you get your first sort of console which you've been playing on, you know, your original one. If you had like the um, play, PlayStation One and you moved to PlayStation Two, you know, what I mean, or you went from uh, Nintendo 64 to sort of the GameCube, you know, you had that such leap of, of graphic fidelity and um, computation that when you saw it, you was like, oh my god, this is what next gen is. And for me, like, Rise of Rome was one of those games where it felt like next gen. And even now, playing it now on my Xbox, I had my Xbox One X, and then I played it on my Xbox Series X. Every time I upgrade my hardware and I can still play the game and go back, and the game runs smoother, looks better, a bit crisper. Granted, yes, it was 2013, so there are times where the animations and the cinematics look a little bit dated compared to today. If you can sort of push that to one side, it looks incredibly smooth. The transitions between gameplay and cinematics are very, are very um, incredible to us. The only thing that really lets this game down, if in my opinion, is the long loading times. Whenever you try to load into a level, it takes forever. Even on a newer ga- uh, console like the Series X, the loading times are, are, are diabolical, really, compared to today. But then again, nowadays you don't really get loading screens. Uh, loading screens are hidden behind in-game cinematics or in-game sort of like crawling through a vent or, or um, trying to shimmy through a little gap or something like that. You know, that's a loading screen, uh, but it's just hidden, so it makes you think you know the game's not loading. Um, but even that being said, this game still looks next-gen. It's very smooth. It's very organic. The, the developers of this game was going very much for flow. They tried their best to make it feel as more fluid like water as possible so that you can do your glory kills and feel like a badass and chop limbs off and that as well as once that's done you straight back into the gameplay and and, and dodge rolls and using your shield and um going from cinematic to gameplay everything just feels cinematic it feels like you're playing a movie it feels next gen and it, it feels like a game that you know yes it was made 2013 but a game that could have been came out yesterday you know what I mean? And uh, that's just down to the power of the CryEngine. The CryEngine is sorely underused nowadays. It's it's an engine that, you know, there's a reason people say, can your PC run Cry, um, Crytek? You know, there's a reason why people used to say that. Because that series and that engine was so powerful that most people's PCs couldn't run it. And even today, you know, the game can be run quite smooth. But if you want to run it on its best settings, you need a really beefy machine. Um and you know, uh, Crytek is now. Um, oh yeah, that yeah. I use Crytek. Yeah. The, anyway, the game they made uh, with <laughs> uh, that game. Anyway, uh, it's now all on Game Pass, and you can play them all now. And I've st- I've played the first one to the second to the third, and those games all still look gorgeous. And they all came out like you know Xbox 360, and I'm sort of basically running them through an emulator for the Xbox, uh, Xbox Series X. But even so, those games still look fantastic because of the engine. And it's it's one of those where like the CryEngine is so powerful that it makes me wonder why so many games aren't running on it nowadays. You know, Crytek themselves have kind of after Son of Rome they went into more publishing, and that they only really publish free to play games now and 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 that sort of thing. Um, this was the last game that they made. Um, and, but they really went all out. They really did. And again, there's a reason why there's so much nostalgia behind it, and why people still to this day, whenever like a PlayStation releases the game and it runs like like trash um you always get the xbox fanboys you know posting like gifts of this of this game or screenshots and be like look look what came out 2013 on the xbox it still looks beautiful today there's a reason people do that it's not just because you know the fanboys are going to try any way to defend themselves the reason they do it is because the game generally on its own feet looks gorgeous plays gorgeous and you it's hard to believe that it, it this game came out so long ago in the generation cycle you know, there are games coming out today that don't look as good as this game at times. And that is is crazy to fathom, but it's true, you know. So what I'm going to try my best to achieve here today is kind of, as I mentioned at the beginning, just try my best to not just explain why it failed, but also try to give you an idea behind development. You know, what actually goes into making a game. And the reception that games have, no matter how much work you put into a game, um, the reception of it is is the key. That if it's not received well, or if it doesn't come out working day one, or if there's features in it that people don't like, how it's perceived, how it's um, treated, and that sort of thing. And, and what makes a game um, 
so beloved in the eyes of people that played it when it first came out. So that's going to be the thing that I'm going to try and um, convey to you today. Again, I'm going to try my best to be unbiased as possible why, um, while also being very much um, opinionated when need be. You know, but it, that concept would all make sense when I get around to answering the questions. Currently, for now, I'm just going to talk about the development, and then um, we'll get on to the question side of it. So, the development of Rise Son of Rome, right? Rise Son of Rome was originally developed by Crytek Budapest in 2004. Crytek released its debut title, Far Cry, and in 2006, Microsoft Studios released the, the Xbox 360 and was working on a prototype for. Um, Called, uh, called Project Nettle, which, as we all know in the gaming space, uh, Project Nettle is the Connect, or would end up being the Connect. Um, ideas for Rise originated in 2006 by Crytek CEO. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name, so I do apologise. Sivet Yerli, who was eager to expand the studio and wanted the studio to work on multiple platform projects uh, simultaneously. Early work and concept development began shortly afterwards with Crytek working on a pair of fantasy games that were set in the, in the same medieval universe. They were Kings, a massive multiplayer online role-playing game, and Kingdoms, a first-person action role-playing game. They hoped that with Kingdoms, they could create an up-close and visceral experience. Crytek then pitched the game to different publishers, and eventually, in 2009, the company pitched the two products to Microsoft. According to Nick Button-Brown, the general manager at Crytek, the game was not functional at the time, and only served to prove to the publisher that a first-person melee game was fun for players. The representative from Microsoft, Phil Spencer, admitted Crytek's int intention to expand and thought that Microsoft's game's lineup for the Xbox 360 was lacking a first-person melee combat game. As a result, they accepted to publish Kingdoms and rejected Kings. The two companies agreed that the project would be a natural fit for Microsoft's yet-to-be-announced Kinect. It was originally revealed as codenamed Kingdoms during Microsoft's E3 2012 press conference, along with the announcement that the game was being developed by Crytek during the Microsoft press conference of E3 2011. Rise was announced as a Kinect-only title. The announcement entailed a, uh, uh, a pre-rendered trailer <laughs> with minor gameplay footage. The gameplay footage featured players using their own body gestures to control the protagonist to fight against enemies and perform actions like sword-wielding, block attacks, wither shield and headbutting. The trailer served as a test for Crytek to see whether the general audience liked the Kinect features or not. In early 2011, the game's direction was shifted from building a world of high fantasy to building a realistic ancient Rome, and the development of the game was shifted from Crytek Budapest to Crytek's headquarters in Frankfurt, Germany. The Budapest office was significantly downsized afterwards, and its focus was shifted to development of smartphone games. It became one of the six projects the company was working on. Development of the game um, continued after its E3 2011 reveal, and different experiments were carried out for the game to see what elements would work and what would not. A team at Crytek proposed a turn to turn the game to an on-rails interactive movie, with the team behind and believed was suitable for Kinect's features and would be able to showcase the power of the CryEngine. The idea was later scrapped. From a quote from CEO of Crytek, um, Sivat Yearly, Microsoft and Crytek sat together at a table and said, are we still doing this game Kinect-based? Then, effectively, we and Microsoft thought nobody dared to say it to each other at first and found that this was not the right way to go forward. We were both worried core gamers may not yet be convinced to use the Kinect. During the game's development, the team worried that the game may be too tiring for players and that Kinect may not be able to detect their movements accurately. accurately. Leading to frustration as a result, the team developed three prototypes of the game. The first pro prototype allowed players to play the entire game with Kinect. The second one tasked players to play the game with an Xbox 360 controller with, with Kinect features, while the third one completely removed the Kinect features completely. Crytek eventually chose the second prototype and shifted the game's perspective to become a third-person video game. In June 2012, Phil Spencer 
corporate VP of Microsoft Studios, maintained that the game was still in development and added that Kinect was only be part of the game. With the changes in the game's control schemes, the game's focus also changed with the game aiming to create a cinematic and character-focused experience for players. The change also extended the game's development process and eventually, in May 2013, Rise was confirmed to be a launch title for the X the Microsoft's next game next game console, the Xbox One. In June 2013, at the E3 Microsoft conference, Crytek showed a gameplay video. Connect was no longer part of the active battle, but had a diminished role by providing squad commands through speech and gestures. The team at Crytek decided to make it a launch title instead of delaying it for further polishing, as they considered the game as considered the launch of the Xbox One an emotional event and wanted to be part of it. Uh, Rise, Rise's combat puts many focuses on flow and crowd control. As a result, the team introduced a rhythm-style combat. The flow was described to be one of the most important parts in the game's mechanics, and the artificial intelligence of enemies were designed to break and disrupt players' flow. The team later chose to introduce the ex execution mechanics as they found that the combat was proven to be too difficult for players, and the execution mechanics provided an easy way for players to defeat enemies and to defend themselves. The game also focused on precision and timing, tasking the players to hit enemies at the correct time and position to gain greater rewards. The developer also hoped that players will use creatively will use creatively when dealing with enemies a concept called mashing to be, to mastery was introduced in rise in which the game's combat was designed to be accessible for newcomers and be challenging for hardcore players in order to achieve the mashing to mastery mechanic the team introduced the execution mechanic which is a series of quick time events as the team Crytek hoped that it would make sense these scenes and make these scenes more rewarding to players as well as allowing the flow of combat to continue more smoothly. So that's kind of the the I could go on for longer. I I wrote a long loads and loads of bits of notes about um the development um of the game. But um, as I was going through, I realised I went a bit too hardcore on the notes. But, you know, we got to do research when it, in terms of podcasting. Um, so moving on quickly. Uh, moving on to the uh, release of Rise and Rome. Um, Rise was originally revealed as an Xbox 360 title that, has, that was set to be released in 2011. Revealed at E3 2010 as codenamed Kingdom, the game missed its release window and its official name was, re was revealed during E3 2011 as Rise. It was introduced as Rise Son of Rome at Microsoft's press conference of E3 2013 with a gameplay demo. The game served as a launch title for the Xbox One and was released on the te November 2022, 2013. Uh, the, the launch, Mars, Chosen, Mordecai Pack, Dawn of Fates Pack and uh, Colosseum Pack was released from 2013-2014 and featured new maps and modes for the multiplayer portion of the game. A legendary collection which featured the base game, the game's seasonal pass and all the additional content released for the game um, was released on October the 7th, 2014. On August the 7th, 2014, Crytek announced that Rise would be released for the PC platform in the fall of 2014. This version of the game is stated to support 4K resolution and include previously released downloadable content. The PC version was released on October the 10th, 2014. Crytek published the digital version of the PC uh, game, um, while Deep Sea Silver published the retail version. All right, so that is the. Uh, somewhat in-depth look into the development of the game um as for the plot I, I won't go long into this one i'll give sort of a brief sort of um introduction to the main characters kind of what you'll be doing in the game um marius begins so you play as a character called marius who is a uh try to think he's he's a soldier in the in the roman legion he's in the roman army during the reign of emperor nero 
And Marius begins his story as a Roman legionary serving in the second battalion, legion battalion, who returns to the Titus family villa in Rome to visit them before he is deployed to Alexandria. His visit is cut short as a sudden Batarian invasion occurs, resulting in the death of his parents and sister. Commander Vitalium, who served alongside Marius's father, transform him transfer, transfers him to the one hundred and four. Uh, 14th Legion promising Marius vengeance for the death of his family. Vitalian leads the 14th Legion to the rebellion province of Britannia where the fleet transporting them is almost destroyed by river chains. Marius's ship is hit by a trebuchet shot but he survives and leads an attack which destroys the towers holding the chains up. Preventing the Roman fleet from being destroyed an impressed Vitalian promoted him promoted Marius to the rank of Centurion. The 14th Legion marches on York, fighting numerous battles with Britain's rebels on the way. Upon arriving at York, Marius leads the 14th Legion in an attack against a rebel army, capturing British King Oswald and his daughter, Boudicca. All go have a quick drink. Mm. Mouth going dry. So, that's going to give you a good idea behind the plot. It's a story very much of revenge uh marius is a sort of he starts as, as a standard sort in my opinion a standard character arc he is just your standard uh lugged, you know standard soldier meat you know what you would expect of just a normal character in these sort of like first person shooter sort of close combat sort of games no real personality just hit things destroy things and ah, you know and that's what he comes off at first when you first really meet him. But as you get into the story and you get into the mechanics of it, you realise that uh, Marius is a very deep, complex character. And this is a story of, of revenge. Uh, revenge on sort of the English because he believes they are the ones that killed his family. And as it turns out, that it's actually... Again, this is sort of spoilers. Um, but it turns out it was actually Emperor Nero and it was uh, the uh, Roman uh, politics and the people running Rome at the time. Um, that was the reason his, his family was killed and that all of his men and that his uh, greatest friend, you know, um, Commander Italian, you know, they all died in vain. And the, the people that need to be, get revenge on, the people that need to be... Um, destroyed are the ones that cause this which is emperor nero and his sort of group of shall we say followers you know and so it's a very in-depth sort of story very in-depth sort of um characters and it, it for me it's it shows more of um it takes the idea behind it this just being a, a quick combat first person melee sort of game to actually being a more <laughs> it gives more weight to it. it gives more weight to the bloodshed you know, it gives more weight to you're not just again a big hunking piece of meat that just that rips limbs and you know hacks enemies. You know, through crusades. You know, there's actually a reason behind Maris's motives. There's actually a reason behind your motives as a player. And even though the campaign isn't very very long, it's enough to kind of show you um, what Maris is going through, what is going through in this period of time. Because again, it's very historical. They might change things here and there in times of characters being places they shouldn't be and certain enemies and factions shouldn't be where they shouldn't be at this point in history. But what the main part is, and what the main point is, the fact of it shows you a glimpse into history, if but change, but also a glimpse into what life was like during, you know, the... the reign of emperor nero uh, what rome was like how, how it had to fall in order to rise again because how much uh, nero had basically led the city and its people into such disarray um and for somebody who's a history not like me i love that kind of things also the gamer side of me coming in from the left is also loves it as well for the sort of gore and the combat so bringing them both together for me that's why this game has so much uh, nostalgia is because of what it tries to do and how it does it so fantastically draws me in. and again the game is gorgeous it's beautiful and it is very much a next gen title it was then it was now you could even go as far to say it was a tech demo to show off the power of the xbox one which didn't not many games really sort of um made use of the power of the xbox one um this game did 
this game still does you know i feel like this is this is one of them games that if you ever want to run it on on your console or you want to run it on your pc and see how well it runs this game would be one of those games that you would use to test that because you'd be able to see um how smooth the sort of animations and the frame rate is you better see uh, the textures and basically how well your your rig and your pc or how well your console better run something like this you know so um that is is done for me being for now anyway me being completely opinionated i'm gonna as we move forwards uh moving on to why it failed i'm going to be completely unbiased like i have no opinion whatsoever i'm just going to state the facts and comment on them um hopefully this idea this topic this sort of way of reviewing um i'm I'm going to give it a go hopefully it comes out well and we'll see you know the reception to it um but we're going to give it a go so without further ado let's get into this mad idea that i have um and let's see if it works all right let's go into it question number one why it failed Right, so question one, uh, why did it fail? So in this section, I'm going to talk about the reception that Rise Thunder Rome received when it was released um, from reviewers, um, the like big names like Metacritic, IGN, Game Informer, all that sort of jazz. Um, so overall, Rise Thunder Rome received uh, mixed reviews. Uh, Metacritic gave the Xbox One version uh, 60 out of 100 based on 77 reviews. Uh, while they gave the Windows version a 61 out of 100 based on 27 reviews. The game's visuals received widespread critical acclaim. Uh, Brian Albert from IGN thought that Rise would be the perfect title for the people to show off uh, their consoles due to its high graphical quality. He also praised the game's wide variety of environments and fluid character animation. However, he criticised the game's boss design, Hollander Cooper from Games Radar strongly praised the game's graphics and the level of detail. Simon Miller from the video game Gamer.com thought that the game's fluid uh, fulfilled its purpose as an Xbox One launch title and demonstrated the power of the console. Andrew Rayner from Games Informer considered that the game's cinema- cinematic as towering achievements of visual design. Brad Shoemaker from Giant Bomb thought that the graphics had successfully surprised players. The game's story also received praise from most critics. Cameron praised the game's voice acting and setting, which he thought was intriguing. However, he thought that the narrative was too basic and missed many details that could have further improved the game's story. Albert admired the game's story and thought that thought it was handled with great care. He added that the game's plot was easy for players to follow, even though the game features multiple unexpected twists. Uh, Cooper described the game's narrative as surprising, um, adding that the later part of the game successfully added personalities to both the game's heroes and villains. In stark contrast, uh, Walton uh, called the game's script as laughable, and said that the dialogue made the plot unbelievable for players. The game's gameplay received polarised reception. Mark Cameron from Electronic Gaming Monthly called it basic and thought that despite the fluid and smooth combat and the addition of the reward system, which added a layer of strategy to the game, the game's execution system hindered the flow of the game by slowing down the overall pace of combat. He added that the game's combat lacked complexity and depth and was too repetitive for players to enjoy. Albert also thought that the combat system was too basic. In addition, he noted the repetitive pattern of enemies. He also criticised the game's overemphasis on graphics, which led to the simple gameplay. Cooper thought that the game's combat was satisfying and thought that the game's sword play had successfully captured the sense of weight and impact. However, he also considered the system repetitive. Rayner criticised the execution sequences, which he considered excessive and over-simplistic. Shoemaker also thought that the game lacked both variety and depth. Mark Walton from GameSpot 
thought that the game design was too linear and that the game discouraged any form of exploration. Uh, critics also had, divide, had divided opinions on the game's multiplayer. Cameron thought that it was a nice addition to the game, even though he thought it lacked the complexity a multiplayer mode should have and that it failed to extend the game's longevity. Miller, Miller echoed this statement and thought that the multiplayer mode had uh, failed to hook players. Walton thought that players would not return to the mode after experiencing it once. He described the mode as bland. Um, Albert, in contrast, considered the mode a unique addition to the game and thought that it had successfully added some strategy elements to the game. Um, Chris Carr from Destructoid thought that the multiplayer mode was better than the game's main campaign. He described it as a pleasant surprise. The amount of content featured in the game received mixed reviews. Miller thought that the game only revolved around one idea, which led to its simplistic gameplay. Cameron and Cooper thought that the campaign was too short for most players. Uh, Shoemaker thought that for a full price game, it lacked content. Rainer further criticised the game's uh, low re replay value. Um, Carter advocated that players purchased the game when its price dropped. He added that while the game features many ideas, most of them failed to deliver. While no exact sales figures were revealed, um, Yearly expressed his disappointment with the sales of Rise for the Xbox One in August 2014, uh, blaming the low sales of the Xbox One itself. Also, there was a little bit of controversy, um, not just with this game specifically, but around Xbox at this time. Um, the controversy was this. Uh, a Federal Trade Commission, or the FTC, uh, led an investigation to uncover an undisclosed paid endorsement deal between Microsoft Studios and Machinima Inc. Uh, Microsoft Studios paid for fake organic reviews and bound Machinima Inc. to, and I quote, not, not portray Microsoft uh, the Xbox One or the launch titles in a negative manner. Uh, Rise Son of Rome was specifically listed in the FTC document as being one of the titles to receive fake reviews. Uh, price quotes for these uh, reviews range between um, $15,000 and $30,000. So that was the controversy around uh, not just Rise of Rome, but the launch of uh, the Xbox One and the titles that came with it. Um, also, you got a look into the reception from reviewers um, on this game. As I mentioned, uh, Metacritic gave the game a 60 out of 100 for Xbox One, a 61 on PC out of 100. Uh, Destructoid, for anybody who's interested, the other reviewers gave um, these scores. So Destructoid gave it a 5 out of 10. Electronic Gaming Monthly gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, Eurogamer gave it a 5 out of 10. Uh, Game Informer gave it a 6 out of 10. GameSpot, 4 out of 10. Uh, GamesRadar Plus gave it a 4.5 um, out of 5 stars. Uh, Giant Bomb gave it a 3 star out of uh, 5 stars. IGN gave it a 6.8 out of 10. And VideoGamer.com gave it a 7 out of 10. So that is the overall reception um, of, the, of Rise of Son of Rome when it came out for the Xbox One. Um, I might not agree with everything that was said here, but me being completely unbiased, I will leave that for the section I'm going to talk about in a minute. But again, that is the overall reception, as well as a little bit of controversy I found uh, while I was doing my research. I couldn't believe, uh, again, trying to be unbiased, but I couldn't believe the controversy that I found. I didn't even know that Microsoft did um, that, that they paid Machinima um, to basically not talk negative about any of their launch titles um which kind of re reflected on very much how to nowadays um microsoft is in in water with the ftc currently over the activision blizzard deal and i found it kind of interesting that they were also in hot water with the ftc in the past as well over basically paying for false um reviews and how this and it interested me because this could also lead to another reason as to why the game failed again being only opinionated um looking at the reception and looking at that it doesn't help you know it wouldn't help their case of rise on their own or any of the launch titles for the xbox one if xbox was paying for fake reviews um especially if when 
I can imagine when players found out about this controversy, um, I, I would, you know, me be also being a gamer, uh, I, I could imagine that I myself, you know, would be a bit annoyed um, at this and a bit of, bit sort of shaken about it, especially from a company like Microsoft to do something like this. So um, I want to add that controversy in at the end to kind of give you an extra sort of idea of you know what was going on, not just from the review standpoint, but at what was going on and, you know, not just with Rise on the Rome, but with the other games that came out when the Xbox One uh, was released. Um, but I can feel it brewing inside me. I really want to give my own opinions. I really want to try my best to, you know, um, be unbiased as possible, but I can feel it brewing. There were a lot of things, as I mentioned, agree or disagree with there. Um, so without further ado, we're going to quickly go into um, question two, is why I feel it didn't deserve any of the sort of backlash that it got so let's get into question number two shall we so question number two why i feel it didn't deserve it so this is the part of it where it, it's all my opinion this is the part where um is the actual review uh, my feelings on the game so this part is going to be completely my opinion um so for starters, well, I don't agree with everything that the critics say. And to be honest, that should come as a surprise to anybody because anybody who is a lover of a certain film or book or series or video game, if you love something, if you have a good fondness for something, no matter what any critic says, it's perfect to you and it's personal to you and, and how, what you, if you like it or not. Um so that shouldn't come surprise to anybody. We all have those things that we love that other people's don't. It's just the way we are as humans, right? Um, so I wasn't going to agree with it, they say. Now, I do understand where they're coming from. I can understand at times um, it feels a bit, you know, not, well, it feels a bit sort of linear. You know, I would like to explore a lot more. That You know, even though it is point A to point B, I feel like the combat is sort of, fast and fluid enough to keep it interesting you know the glory kills and i'll get into the specifics but the glory kills that you know the executions never get boring never seem to get any sort of made me feel oh i've done this already like every time i did it i loved it and it was same for for, for doom when it came out that system came out in the doom reboot 2016 it never got boring because it was fast. It, it was fluid. It was like, I'm going to shoot a few demons here and we're going to brutally slaughter and execute this demon here. Then once I've done that, I'm going to do it again and then I'm going to keep doing it. And I got a chainsaw and you know the gameplay kept changing up. And people never sat there and went, oh, wow, this new combat system of Doom is a bit bad. They went, no, it's it's revolutionary. It's different. It's amazing. It's incredible, you know. Um, and, and for me, you know, this game is just, it's smooth. You know, the, the cinematics are smooth, the gameplay, the gory kills, you know, everything is very fluid. You know, it, again, it feels like it feels like I'm playing a movie. It feels like that I'm going from the cutscenes and I'm going from the cinematics fluidly into gameplay. That there's a big battle, like there's a, there's a part where Ma uh, Marius, um, your ship gets attacked and you get shipwrecked on the shore where there's a big battle going off in the distance right it's so seamless from where you hit the shore to then marius gets up and then you are now controlling marius and you're going to take out the tower take out the chains so the rest of the ships can can dock and then sort of we can invade britain and it gets very much that sense of feeling of like i need to pay attention to what's going on because i don't know at any moment when i'm going to be needed to react and 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 uh play the game so it's like watching a movie that i need to i'm i'm invested in the story in the characters because i know i need to because at any moment i am going to have to keep this story going i'm going to have to take control and go forth so for me it's it's smooth there's no such thing as for me personally to feel like the game is is slow or basic um yes it can get a bit repetitive but for me personally that was never an issue because the glory kills the executions as they call it um keep it fun but again, they were doing it before Doom did it, before the Doom remake. And nobody ever says that the, the glory kills in Doom remake are, you know, basic and, 
you know, a bit of a gimmick or repetitive. No, it's it's quick, it's fluid, it was fun, it was revolutionary. People were like, wow, this is a, a, an incredible thing. And they work the same way. You do enough damage to an enemy. Once you've done enough damage, um, you'll get given a um, visual cue. In Rise and Rome, it is a skull above the heads. In Doom, it is they uh, glow different colour. So if you're at a certain distance, it, I think it glows... Uh, red and if we, we get close enough to execute I think it's yellow or orange for the while since I played Doom um, but when you get close enough you can do the execution and it's very quick it's very sort of brutal you do it and then you move on and it's very quick because it's very seamless to me it's, it's very much the same in, in Rise and Rome the only difference is Rise and Rome it's more interactive so if I go up to an enemy then uh, you'll have the option between um pressing the X button or the Y button. So as we know for the Xbox, the X button is blue and that the Y button is yellow. So you were given the option of when you get this little cinematic and and the camera really helps you because the camera really sort of focuses. It's like, again, it's like a movie. It really focuses in this moment. Everything slows down. The whole area behind you slows down and goes a bit blurry and it's very cinematic. And so they might try to hit you with their shield and then Marius will come in and it will give you a hint, uh, an option between how fast your reactions are. So it would give like a, say for example, it goes blue. So you press the X button really, really quickly. Marish will duck down, stab him in the gut. Shield goes over. He might then say press Y. So you press Y and he picks the guy up with the guy still on his sword over his head, slams them on the floor. And they might ask you to press X again. So you pull your blade out and then you smash him in the face with your shield. Again, it's very seamless, and once that's done, you feel powerful. You feel you feel like a god. You feel incredible, you know. And then again, it's 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 off. So there's a lot of dodging. There's a lot of using your shield, bashing, move back, dodge. There's some enemies that you can't dodge and parry, so you've got to dodge, hit, hit, get in. It's kind of like it is. It does get difficult as you go through the game, but it's never. Again, in my opinion, it's never not fun. Even when it's difficult, it's still fun. The one thing that I will agree on mostly in terms of the combat um, is when it gets to the boss design, boss levels. Whenever you go against Boudicca or any sort of the other bosses, it it is a bit sort of it doesn't really change. It doesn't really get any interesting. Like the the enemies will still attack you the same. They still have the same attack patterns. The levels don't exactly change, um, and they are just repetitive, boring. You know, hit it like Boudicca, for example. She is a door wielder. So she will come at you with multiple attacks re repeatedly. So you got to dodge them, dodge them. And then at the end, she'll come back with a dodge that you can't. So you have to, she'll glow red, which means you've got to press B to dodge out the way. So you dodge out the way. She goes, ah, and then you've got to get in and you might get one or two backstabs in and then you've got to parry again. And again, it gets, I will admit, yes, it does get a bit repetitive. But apart from that, the uninspired sort of boss designs, everything else is, is very fluid is very brutal the combat you know there are tons of gore there are moments again where you have the execution where an enemy might try to f f stab you in the face and maris will dodge it and he would just slice the arm off in front of them and then they will try to hit you with the other arm with the blade in in, in the other arm and maris will just kind of step backwards slightly like very smugly like step backwards like you can't hit me you're just spraying bl blood at me with your other arm and then he'll come in with shield bash and stab on the floor it's very brutal. And again, it shows what combat was like back then. If you're going to have a very melee focused combat, be honest, there are going to be blood. There is going to be um, la lacerations of the skin. There's going to be chopping arms off. Heads going to be chopped off. People are going to be sliced. And you see it in the enemies. When an enemy first runs at you, if you get a few hits in, you can see the damage on their body. You'll see slice marks along their stomach along their arms they will start to bleed there was a that was a, a detail i only noticed in playing the game recently for this review i didn't notice that when i first played it and to see like wow they were doing back in 2013 and it reminded me of atomic heart atomic heart recently played it loved it i didn't get around to reviewing it but it's a fantastic game um but in atomic heart when you hit an enemy you can actually see the damage you can see that if you go swing from the right for example you have a direct right um slash line among the enemy of where you hit them and it's same with the left or down the middle you have real-time damage that you can actually see that you're inflicting upon uh the enemy and you get that in rice and a and i again it was a little detail like i didn't notice that before 
And when you kill them, when you, in their bodies, when you kill them and you slash their arms, you can see the bits of the, the arm on the floor and you can see the, their body over here. Um, there's even things where you can, in certain areas, if you're near like a, a pyre, a giant fire, you can do an execution where they might to attack you, you'll stab them and you could literally ram the knife through them and lead them and throw them into the fire or marries he might shield bash them into the fire it's all it's very much the fact of you never know what execution you're going to get it's always changing it's always fluid it's very brutal it's very much to the time to the pacific moment of um history and any sort of melee combat it's it's, it's just brutal and that's what you want and that's what you expect from um this time period and they do it so so well. Um, the character himself, Marius, is is an interesting main character and plot. Uh, the idea and concept of the gods manipulating everything, which again it shows by the end um, of the story that no one really wins. You know, all this killing was just um, just a game to the gods. And again, that's it's interesting because if you know that your Greek mythology, if you know your Roman mythology. Uh, if you even Norse mythology, any sort of mythology that has gods in, gods like, gods are childish. Gods are so malevolent and so ageless that, you know, over time they get bored. So what's the best way to, to have fun than to play with humanity? Is to manipulate humanity, is to go against other gods be like oh i bet my champion will beat your champion so they will set wars and they will set kingdoms against each other that will fight each other and there'll be giant battles and death and just to see who would win and at the end of the day if your champion wins or their champion wins it doesn't really matter because they go well that was a fun game forgetting all the travesty and all the people that have died and all this chaos that has been caused it's just a game to them and then when and that's it's that's kind of a big twist in the story you actually find that the gods were actually playing a game and by the end of the story nobody wins yes marius gets his revenge because this is a story of revenge this is a story of of marius getting revenge for the death of his family for um for the death of his people the roman people the his rome that he loves um at the end of the day he gets his revenge on marius on on near on emperor nero but he still dies by the end of it. i know spoilers but it's a 2013 game come on if you haven't played it by now <laughs> but even so it's a very complex because as the story goes on at the beginning marius is just a jarhead you know he's just a, a soldier he is nothing other than just um another sort of pawn for the meat grinder for the roman um legion for Emperor Nero. And as it goes on, you realise that he's a lot deeper than that, that his character is of somebody who <laughs> has been used by Emperor Nero and his family's been killed and that he wants revenge and he gets revenge. His best friend, his commander, dies. So he, he goes off and he gets visited by, um, very early on, by one of the gods, Roy the Roman gods. I can't remember which Roman god it was. Uh, gets visited by one of the Roman gods. And she leads him. She guides him on this path. And as you find out, there's another Roman god who's also playing a game. And it's they've gotten entwined. And by the end of the story, they Marius is dead. Nero is dead. These gods appear. And they both look at each other like, good game. And that's it. They part ways, like till the next game, and then they leave. And if you're not a history buff, like if you're not into history buff, uh, history and mythology, to you that might seem is that it. But for somebody like me who is into that kind of stuff, it's it was very poignant. It was very much the fact of this just shows that it was all for nothing. That yes, Rome does get to live another day, and that Rome gets to rebuild. And yes, Nero was a terrible ruler, which he was. He was a terrible ruler. Um, but even so, in the terms of this story, nobody wins. And to me, it's a very complex, historical, mythological story. Yes, they change things here and there, and it's not completely accurate to the time frame. Um, and they do embellish and change things throughout history. But it is a very historical sort of story woven in with the mythology and with the gods. And it's 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 a perfect sort of story of, of revenge and how the gods manipulate man for their own fun really um and i found that very interesting very complex um 
so again i don't find it very bland i don't find it boring as a lot of the reviewers um like to say and overall even though the campaign is short i found myself enjoying it like i said i come back to this game once a year just to see how beautiful it still looks to relive the story to play for the campaign um and i do hope that you know one day they would be more i do hope that it would be sort of a sequel and that's what my next question is going to be uh, my next question is going to be you know why i feel it deserves a second chance and you know a potentially a sequel and you know where i think the series could go next um so that's kind of my overall review uh, of the game it's it's wonderful it's incredible it's it's gory you know it, it's if anything yes it is a bit of a tech demo um but if you've got game pass if you've never played it before um give it a go to you know even if you're not on series x if you're still on the xbox one you know or if you're on a series s it doesn't matter if you've got game pass it's free give it a go and let xbox know that you want this series to continue uh, or that you want this series to come back because uh, again crytek they're not doing anything um they are currently just publishing free-to-play games you know so let's kick them up the bum and let's get them moving let's get them going another rise game or making more games um because i want to see them make more games i want to see the cry engine being used more because again this game is beautiful it's smooth um yeah it's just oh gorgeous so um that's question two why i feel it didn't deserve it while i feel like this game is worth everybody's attention um on to question three why i feel it deserves a second chance and where i think the series could go next this part is going to be really really juicy now question three why i feel uh, it deserves a second chance um, and potentially a sequel or even where i think it could go next um as i do my research uh, for this game i found that a sequel was planned um but how can i explain it according to yearly who the sort of ceo of crytek uh rise from the rome was not a one-off title and would serve as the beginning of a new franchise however several rep reports claimed that rise 2 was cancelled because of a conflict between crytek and uh, microsoft over who would own the rights to the franchise in exchange for funding, uh, Rise's to development, um, Microsoft wanted to take over the Rise intellectual property. Crytek would not agree to these terms, so the project was cancelled. Um, Kivet Yearly denied that the game was cancelled in an interview with Eurogamer, adding that the relationship between Microsoft and Crytek was uh, remained strong and positive. Uh, Rise was one of the last titles developed developed by Crytek before the company entered financial crisis and reconstruction. The new Crytek is focused on developing free-to-play games and being a games service instead of a video game developer. Despite this, Rise is still an intellectual property owned by Crytek. So apparently uh, a sequel is still sort of the idea of it, you know, it hasn't been cancelled. There is still a potentiality of a sequel. Um, but where that has gone i couldn't find anything about it i couldn't find anything of if anything if they're still working on something or um if they were looking into it all i know is that um it's still a property that's owned by crytek and the deal between microsoft and crytek is still going like they still got a relationship but in terms of an actual sequel it went cold a long time ago um but again coming back to why i feel like it deserves a second chance in the sequel is not just for what I said, but also you've got the story of Marius. Yes, Marius has, by the end of it, again, spoilers, he did die by the end of the, the end of the story. Yes, Emperor Nero was killed, but it leaves it open because, again, there's a lot of history in Rome. You know, you could go back and you could look at what comes after uh, Nero. You could look at uh, other emperors. You can look at emperors before Nero. You could go into, um, I don't know, uh when the romans went up against um 
the picks, for example, you already went against sort of the British Rebellion with Boudicca. You want to go against the picks, the people that lived on the other side of the wall, uh, basically the Scottish, uh, because the Romans were scared of the picks. Uh, they really, really was terrified of them. They even they built a wall because they they knew they couldn't fight them hand in hand because they would get defeated. So they built a wall to keep away from them, you know. Um, or even you know even if you didn't want to do Rome, you know there you could even do a sequel where it goes a bit further. And this is where I thought like it, where the series could go to other things. So Rise could be anything. It could be Rise Son of Rome too, or you know you could do Rise. Um, son of egypt you could do rise son of greece you could do rise son of sparta rise son of um vikings um i'm thinking you know try let's think of other places where we could go you know rise son of um aztec you know aztec warriors you know the the uh, jaguar priests that'd be cool you know that's a, that's a time period we've never been to before you know rise son of china Rise, um, son of the samurai. You know, I'm just spitballing. These are after I've made. I haven't wrote any down, but the idea of doing another Rise series is interesting because you already have the brutal sort of combat. All you've got to do is pick a time period. It doesn't have again. It doesn't have to be Rome. It could be against Spartans. That'd be interesting to see the three hundred have that retold or. Not even the 300 does have a spot, even if you just change history as you did here. Take the historic setting of the Spartans and have them go up against somebody else. Have the Spartans fight, um, I don't know, who could they fight? The Egyptians. Or something like that. Like, Or have a brand new sort of faction they go up against. The, idea, the, the point I'm trying to get is the fact that this is ripe for potential. That you could take one time period, take the Spartans... A brand new sort of character that could be Leonidas or it could be, you know, a new um, soldier in the Spartan army and have the the, the, the the tools of a Spartan warrior. You know, you have your spear, you have the shield, you know, the brutal combat of that, uh, how they used to fight, you know, the swords they use, the, the you know, the... Um, how they used to get into formations, because that's one of the things I didn't mention in the review. One thing that I really loved about um, in Rise of Rome was how he actually felt like a soldier in a Roman legion. Because Roman legions, they were very clever in how they used to use their shields. So they didn't just use them to block from the front. They would do like um, turtle formation, turtle formations where they would have people at the front People behind them would be raise their shields above the, the people below them. Then you'd have people behind them, on above them, so you protect themselves apart as well as the guy at the front of you. So it would be like a tank. They would all walk ahead slowly in a formation, surrounded by shields, like a tank, so that they can't be hit from oncoming arrows. And you do that in the game. There are moments where you walk together in a line as a legion, and you can't be hit from the front and then there'll be moments where they'll fire arrows at you so you've got to hunker down you get hit by arrows and then you jump up get your spears aim and you throw your spears at the people that aim at you then you hunker down back as a shout and then you'd move forwards in a formation the spartans did their own sort of thing of that you know so you could do that you could incorporate that you could incorporate spears you incorporate um I can't remember the name of the blade that they used to use, but it was a small, it was a small sort of sword they used to use, kind of the same as what the Romans used. Uh, but the reason it, for that, because it was good for getting in between the shields, because again, you would be fighting close quarters. No point in having a huge broadsword or, or huge sort of just standard um, sword. You'd use a smaller sword, um, so you could kind of get in quick and deflect um, other sort of incoming swords and even arrows if you were good enough. Um, it leaves it open for more. Like even the you, you don't have to be brutal, but just you could go full brutality of Vikings. You could go the full brutality of um, the Spartans, or even you could go sort of the more tactical approach by samurais and how I think is very fluid and very sort of um, calm and um, precise as a samurai is. Like yes, it's going to cause a lot of damage when you do get your hits in. But it's very contained. It's very motionful, you know. Um, and that's the 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 point I'm trying to get is the fact of the Rise series is so ripe for um, 
the picking that it's it's got me that I don't understand why Microsoft hasn't gone. Um, let's do more of this because as I every, every time I play Rise of Rome, every time I play, I feel like this feels like an Xbox game that Xbox should be the home of brutal historic sort of games. And again, there are times of that when I feel like other things where I feel like Xbox should be the home for Transformers. You know. There are certain games that you're playing, you're like, yeah, this would be at home on an Xbox console. That, again, it, it's very fanboyish of me to say, but it just feels like with Rise that this would be a perfect place to have more um, historic Roman or even Egyptian, Spartan, Vikings, etc. Um, sort of brutal melee combat games, but we only got one great one, and then that was it. Um, and again, like I said, in my research, it hasn't been shelved. It hasn't been put on hiatus. I mean, cancelled. It's just the trail's gone cold. Of like, the, all it comes is their their relationship between Microsoft and Crytek are still um, strong and positive. But there is no word on what's happening with this franchise, um, and that's why I got excited when I saw that leak. When I mentioned at the introduction, was that. The potentiality of another Rise game, if it's Rise and Rome 2, or it's Rise 2, whatever they want to do next, because again, they can go anywhere with this. It doesn't have to be Rome. It could literally be anywhere. It could be, if they wanted to, Rise and a Caveman. I don't know. Literally, the, the possibilities are endless. They could go into the future. Not that I'd want them to, but they could. The point is, there is so much that could be done with this franchise that I don't understand why. But I do feel like if we ever get, if we never get a sequel, or we never get a follow-up. Um, even though I feel like that is an opportunity missed, I still feel like this game itself is worth playing. That it, it deserves. It doesn't. It didn't deserve the hate it got. It didn't deserve to fail. Um, and again, I feel like that's just down to the fact of the Xbox coming out not working as well. Also, the controversy behind Xbox playing people like Machinima for false reviews and. Um, false uh not no negativity all sort of everything positive but it's all fake positivity um that i can understand where fans were like very much the fact of oh don't really like what xbox is doing at the moment i don't like what microsoft is doing um and i think everything went up against it it had it was a launch title it, you know the crytek them said themselves that they they stopped polishing it so that they could it could be a launch title like the game was meant to come out a year later after the xbox came out but they wanted it to launch to kind of trail on that hype trail on that emotion of this new generation this new console um and the game came out to bad form maybe you could say you could argue that if the game had waited a year that um with polish and maybe they could have added things and they could have maybe decided Let's do a story expansion or let's do more with the multiplayer. Because I played the multiplayer. I didn't mention the multiplayer in my review because, again, the multiplayer is dead now. But I have played the multiplayer a bit in the past. And you, there is a solo version of the multiplayer that you can play on your own. Um, and it's difficult. It's hard. And I would love to play it with, with another person to see what... Because the, the server is still open. You can still play uh, with other people on um, on the game. You need two people, and it's nobody's playing this nowadays. So if you can find a match, good luck. Um, but yeah, if they had more time, maybe the multiplayer could have been flushed out. If they had more time, maybe they could have done an expansion, polished it a bit more, maybe added things, maybe decided, oh, well, you know, let's add in an extra level. But no, they wanted to ride the hype. So I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not saying these are the reason it, it failed, They're this person, that person. It just seems from the research looking into it, from looking at the reception, looking at the controversy, looking at when it came out, that it was delayed. Well, it wasn't delayed. It was sort of pushed forwards instead of pushed back so that it can coincide with the release of the new Xbox. That it could have had longer for development. It just feels like a lot of things at one time came together and it kind of just got buried that the game came and went people either played it day one with their xbox or didn't get an xbox because of the whole bricking and whole sort of problems that the xbox had um and by the time that people started coming back to the xbox after all those problems were fixed some people were just looking at what's coming next and didn't want to look what came before and moved on so why why overall did it fail i think generally it just got unlucky it, re it released at the wrong time 
a lot of things were stacked up against it. And I feel like that's why it failed. Do I feel like it deserves it? No. I feel like this game deserves a lot more love and appreciation for what it is and for what it did. Yes, I would come to say that, yes, it is somewhat of a glorified tech demo, but that's not a bad thing. You know, there are a lot of big popular games out there that are now franchises that were originally just tech demos, you know. I think Half-Life, I think that was a tech demo at first and look how big that's got. Um, and uh, what's it called now? Uh, no, there was another one in my head, but I, I lost it. But the point is I'm trying to make is the fact of it's a fantastic game. It's hack and slash. It's brutal. It's gory. It does a lot. It, it's it's fun. And that's what a game should be. It's fun. It's cinematic. It's interesting. And you don't see many games like this nowadays. You know, you don't. They they tried something new. They pushed the boat out. Sadly, it didn't work because it came out at the wrong time. But overall, I've got no issue with this game, and I would happily see a sequel, or I'd happily see, like to see more um, in the Rise uh, series overall. So that uh, is my overall opinion on uh, Rise and Rome, um, as well as me trying to answer as to why it failed. Um, hopefully you all like this style of review. You liked what I was trying to uh, get at here. Um, I've never done anything like this before. Something like, like I said, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. I've wanted to like actually properly, deeply research a video game to look into it and try to figure out as to why it didn't do very well, uh, why it didn't fail, why it's so widely loved now, but it wasn't when it first came out. You know what I mean? Um, I'd like to say I, I achieved that here, but that's what I think. That's my opinion. It's up to you, Beans. It's up to you guys. Uh, what what you think, you know, at the end of the day, you are the defining factor. You know, uh, if you liked it, let me know. If you don't want to see any more of it, well, I guess the, the views and the comments, if any, uh, will we'll, we'll show that. But um, I'm quite proud of myself for this one. It was it was a fun to replay the game. It was fun to do the research. It was fun to look into it. Again, I couldn't believe the controversy. Um, but again, it all adds into it into the game's favour as to why it didn't do very well. You know, so overall, it it kind of um, makes sense. But there is a lot of potential for more out of this series. Um, I just hope that Microsoft one day decides let's give Rice and Arome, you know, let's give it a go again. Let's try it one more time. And let's try something different or let's keep this ball rolling and make a sequel. I don't know. But whatever they decide to do, if any, with this um, series, I'm here for it. I'll be there. I'll play it day one. Um, so, yeah, that's my thoughts and feelings. On to the, the boring stuff. So, if you like what you hear, um, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at nerdstagic underscore pod for updates on everything anything that I'm doing. Also, you can find, as I mentioned, this podcast on uh, YouTube at Nerdstagic, at the Nerdstagic Podcast. Again, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, all that jazz. Uh, also, you can find this podcast anywhere and everywhere that you'll find podcasts. You just won't find me on Apple Podcasts, but you'll find me everywhere else. You find me on Audible. Yeah, I am everywhere. Um, yeah. I'm spreading my beans around and they're growing my bean stalks. My, my garden is, is growing and it's looking beautiful and I love you all. Um, so very thank you very, very much uh, for listening to today's episode. Uh, I have been your host, Luke the Human. You've been listening to the Nerd Sadget Podcast. I appreciate you all immensely. I love you all. Cheers. Catch you in the next one. Bye-bye.